Thank you for coming out tonight. You bless me by coming, and I hope you'll receive a blessing for coming. We do want to be in prayer for our team and what they're about this week and what they're doing tonight. You know, it's a good thing that when Brother Andy is gone, we have good preaching still. We heard a good sermon this morning. Well thought out, well organized, well delivered. And I think I've heard uh, all of the staff now, maybe not Jason Gish, but uh, I heard him in another setting. And uh, all of them are good preachers, each one in his own way. Well, tonight I want to invite your attention to a passage in the book of Acts. Chapter 11, you know the book of Acts is an exciting book. It tells the story of the growth of the early church, and it covers just about a little over 30 years. Now think about this. When the book of Acts begins, we have a small group who are following Jesus, 120 or so, in the upper room at Jerusalem. And by the end of those 30-odd years, there are multiplied, multiplied thousands upon thousands who are following Jesus, and they are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Doesn't that blow your mind? It absolutely is incredible what happened during those days. And the passage I'm going to read this evening, I think, is one of the most exciting chapters out of that exciting period. Verses 19 through 26. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And then for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That is a pivotal chapter in this great book, what happened there at Antioch. Now, I want to focus on that last little verse there. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. 
I want to focus on that name, Christian, Christian, and what it means to be a Christian. Now, the followers of Jesus were not at the first called Christians. That is a name that uh, came into use, oh, at least 15 or 20 years after the beginnings in the book of Acts. But it was a name that came to have great meaning. It is a, it's a wonderful name. It is a powerful name. It is a honorable name in every way. But would you agree with me that it has been somewhat compromised? Oh, the name Christian has been diminished. When I hear it used, as I sometimes do, even in political situations, it just kind of turns me off. So the name, I don't think, communicates necessarily what we want it to communicate. Now, I'm wondering if there's any way that we could recover the meaning of this name, what it meant in those first days that it was used. So we're going to examine that, but let's remember that, after all, Jesus didn't give this name to his followers. <laughs> he didn't say to them, now, I want you to go into all the world and make Christians. No. And, again, the early fellowship did not adopt this name for themselves. I mean, they didn't do as we might do today in forming a new church upon a committee and come up with a name. They didn't do that. They weren't really concerned about that. So how did this name come about? Well, apparently, at Antioch, there were people there who were worshiping Jesus a people who were serving Jesus, a people who were witnessing for Jesus, and they were doing it so effectively that the world, I mean the surrounding people, began to call them by this name Christians. Even then, it didn't really catch on that fast. I mean, the name Christian, as most of you know, is used only three times in the New Testament. This time here, it is used again in Acts 26, 28, where Paul is giving his testimony before King Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa is moved to say to him, translating it now from the King James Version, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. You know, Paul himself did not use that name. As far as we know, he never used that name. But there it is. It is used the other time in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16 when Peter writes, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Rather, praise the Lord that you bear that name, the name Christian. I suppose it was beginning to sort of catch on by that time. And so people were beginning more and more to identify the followers of Jesus as Christians. Now, 
I think it would help us to appreciate this name and perhaps to better understand this name and to better understand who we are if we look at the names by which the followers of Jesus were called before they were called Christians. You know, someone has said that in those early days, we have a face looking for a name. A faith looking for a name. While today, it may be that we have a name and we're looking for the faith that goes with it. Think about that. So what were they called before they were called Christians? Well, they were called believers. Okay, believers. When you start looking at the record, for example, in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, Again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Acts chapter 5, verse 14, the Jesus people are referred to as believers. As a matter of fact, in the NIV Bible, before Acts 2.42, there is a heading there, not a part of the original text, but an appropriate heading, that says the fellowship of believers. The fellowship of believers. Yes, that's what they were. You know that word fellowship, and this is kind of an aside, okay? It's just kind of chasing a rabbit here. But the, fel- the word fellowship, koinonia, that's a rich word. Now, it's interesting that that word is used of the company of believers before the word church is used in the book of Acts. The word church is not used until the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. So they were a fellowship. By the way, I have often said the word church does not communicate what the New Testament word meant. I have an issue with the word church, but I'll talk to you about that some other time. Okay? But now this word fellowship, koinonia, partnership, working together, participation, so forth, of believers. So they're called believers. I understand that sometimes on the mission field, when the word Christian has been misused or abused, that people are encouraged to refer to themselves as believers even today. Well, we are believers In other words, here were a people who were known for what they believed. What they believed. They believed in God, of course. They believed in an eternal, sovereign, holy God. A God who created the heavens and the earth. A God who created man in his own image. And who loved mankind and man individually. We believe, of course, that man, though he's created the image of God, is separated from God because of his sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So we believe that man is doomed outside of the grace of God, but praise God, the grace of God has acted in Jesus Christ, his Son, who has come to 
save us from our sins, to deliver us from damnation, to bring us into a meaningful relationship to God. We believe that the Bible, of course, is our authority for what we believe and what we practice and so forth. I could go on and on, obviously, with what we believe. But we're believers. I want you to know, though, that belief in the Christian sense, in the New Testament sense, is not just a matter of the head. It's also a matter of the heart. In other words, these early Christians not only believed with their minds in Jesus, but they had embraced him. They had committed to him. They had put their trust and their confidence in him. And so these are believers. That's what they were called before they were called Christians. But they're also called disciples. Disciples. As a matter of fact, in the text, it says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And obviously that's a name that is uh, widely used in the New Testament for the followers of Jesus. The first followers of Jesus were his disciples. But that term is not limited to the original twelve. But all followers of Jesus are appropriately called disciples. You know, when Jesus gave his great commission, he said, go into all the world. Yeah, oh, he didn't say make Christians, but he said, make disciples. Make disciples. Now, a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is sort of an intern, if you please. A disciple is one who follows after Jesus. Jesus' call to those first disciples was, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And that's the call that he issues to us today, to follow him. One name by which the early Christian movement went was the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. And we're to walk in that way. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. But he is our example. He is our model for living a Christian life. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple in that sense, to follow the model of Jesus? Well, let me suggest two things. I think in the first place it means to be submissive to God. Jesus was submissive to the Father. When he was here, fully human, on this earth, he said very clearly that he had come to do the will of the Father. And I suppose the ultimate expression of that is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is wrestling with what is about to happen to him and when he is praying and when he says to God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so I think the first mark of discipleship is that submitting to God. Yielding our lives over to him, seeking his will in everything that we do, everything that we are 
about. And then the other side of that is discipleship would be service to others. Service to others. Jesus was a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And you will remember again that one of the best expressions of his acts of service was there just before he was crucified. When in the upper room, he took a towel and he took a basin of water and he went around and washed his disciples' feet. And by that setting an example for them, teaching them that in the world they were to be servants. You know, he put it very simply when he summed up the commandments. And he said, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So to love God is to be submissive to him, and to love your fellow man is to serve your fellow man. And that's what it means to be a disciple. So the early followers of Jesus were called believers, and they were called disciples. And by the way, they were also called saints. Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Which has been abused and misused, and we are hesitant, I think, to think of ourselves as saints. But the truth of the matter is that in the New Testament sense, we as believers are all saints. Now, in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, this is where we have the account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul has had that vision on the road to Damascus, and he has come into Damascus blind and not knowing what's coming next. But God has spoken to a man there in Damascus by the name of Ananias. By the way, it says of him, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a disciple. So there's that name again, disciple. But he spoke to Ananias. And he said to him, I want you to go down to the house of a man named Judas on Straight Street. And you're going to find a man there who is going to be expecting you. And he's praying. And Ananias said, Whoa! <laughs> You've got to be kidding. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. I know that man, and I know the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. So we have that word, saint. Now, it's interesting. I said a moment ago that the Apostle Paul, as far as we know, would ever use the name Christian. So his favorite name for the followers of Jesus was saints. When he wrote those letters, who did he address them to? Well, not in every instance, but most of the time he addressed them to the saints, to the saints who are at Corinth or the saints who are at Rome or the saints who are at Thessalonica or the saints who are at Ephesus. Oh, not to Galatia. Well, we won't go into explaining that, but perhaps you know that he had an issue with the Galatians. <laughs> anyway, he called them saints. So that's a name. 
that is appropriate to a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a saint? Well, it means to be a sanctified one. Sanctified. Now, in one sense of the word, we're all saints because in our experience of salvation, God set us apart. He sanctified us to himself. But sanctification is not just a happening. It is a continuing process. And so we continue to be sanctified. That is to be set apart. And the idea is really to be made holy. To be made holy. You know, God said, I am a holy God. And you are to be a holy people, a sanctified people, a people set apart to me. So the word saints. Now, what is it about this, this being a saint? I said we're all saints, but we're not all saintly, okay? So what is it about being saintly, let's say? Well, I think a saint, for one thing, must be able to say no. To say no to the world. We heard that this morning. To say, to be different from the world, in other words. To say no to the flesh. You know, in Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, to be holy, holy committed to the Lord. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, you've got to say no to the world. The world, the Bible says, is at enmity with God. The world is not a friend of God. Now, we're not talking about the sphere of the earth, and we're not talking in general about people, but we're talking about the selfish system that exists in the world that is characteristic of the world, the sinful world which is separated from God. We have to say no. We have to say no to the flesh. I mean the human nature that is within every one of us that is inclined to sin. In First Peter chapter 1, along through there somewhere, it says, do not be conformed to the desires of the flesh, which were characteristic of you before you saw the light, before you came to Christ. So a saint is one who must say no. I wonder if it is not more difficult to say no to the world today than it ever has been. Because the world has invaded our territory so much. Because the world is so much with us. And the desires of the flesh respond to the world. And we have to say no. But there's another side to that. A holy person is also one who says yes. Yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes, to the commandments of God, but especially the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is given 
the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. The Holy Spirit is the one who renders us not only as saints, but as saintly. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we can reject the Holy Spirit. Even having the Holy Spirit, we can reject the fullness of the Spirit. And so for us to be holy, we must invite the Spirit not only to indwell us, but to fill us. And yes, it is important for us to be different from the world. To be, as the old King James said, to be a peculiar people. (laughs) To be a bunch of oddballs in the eyes of the world. Well, so early followers of Jesus were called believers. And they were called disciples. And they were called saints. One more. They were called witnesses. Witnesses. Now I think about if Jesus said in Acts 1-8, He didn't say, you're to be Christians now. He didn't even say there, you're to be disciples and so forth. But he said what? You are to be witnesses unto me. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you are to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and out to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. That's what he called his early followers. And when you start reading through those early chapters of the book of Acts, And you come over there to chapter 5 and verses 27 through 32. And Peter and John have been put in jail now for the second time in the book of Acts. Uh, The first time, you know, they were preaching the gospel and they were arrested and they were brought in and they spent the night in jail. The next day they went before the authorities and the authorities didn't really know what to do with them because they didn't want to cause too much of a disturbance. And so they just told them, okay, don't do this anymore. You must not do what you've been doing, preaching in this man's name. Well, you know what they did, don't you? They went right out and started doing it again. And so they brought him in again in the fifth chapter of Acts and put him in jail. But this time, an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors of the jail. And they're out. And the next day, they're out preaching again. And the guards come in and they say to the authorities, Hey, those guys you told not to do it, they're doing it again. Those guys you put in jail, they're out there doing it again. And so they bring him in, and they say to him, Now, we told you not to do this anymore. So Peter says, Well, you know, we must obey God rather than men. And then he goes on to share a bit of the gospel with him. He talks about how God had sent Jesus and how they had crucified him and how God had exalted him. And now through him, repentance and forgiveness of sin were being preached. And then he said, and we are his witnesses. We are the witnesses. 
of all that has taken place. So that's a name. You know, we have a sect called Jehovah's Witness. Well, they have a screwy kind of doctrine <laughs> in a lot of ways. But nevertheless, they have a good name. Rather, Jesus Witnesses. That would make it better even, I think. But that'd be a good name for us to adopt. Jesus Witnesses. We are witnesses to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, a witness is one who tells what he has seen and what he has heard and what he has experienced. And those early Christians had seen something, at least with their spiritual eyes, and they had learned something, and they had embraced something, and they had a truth to share, centered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Son of God. And they shared that so effectively that I said in the beginning of this sermon that in 30 years' time, the gospel had spread throughout the Western world. They were witnesses. A witness is one who tells his story. I've always said the best definition of evangelism that I know is by a man by the name of Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And he said that evangelism, and the same can be said for witnessing, we're talking about the same thing here, is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. And that's what we're to be about. We're to be witnesses. Okay. Believers. Disciples. Saints. Witnesses. The followers of Jesus went by those names. They were called those names before they were ever called Christians. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Are you a disciple? Are you a saint? Are you a witness? You see, there was a time in a faraway place long, long ago when there were a little group of people, a little group of people who believed in Jesus Christ so sincerely and followed him so faithfully and lived for him so completely and witnessed to him so boldly that the world called them Christians. <laughs> oh, let it happen again, Lord. Let it happen again. You know, a moment ago I was talking about uh, Agrippa's statement, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. He said that to Paul. Paul had shared the gospel with him. He had shared the gospel with him by telling his own story. 
almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And what Paul said to him then was, I would that you not only almost, but altogether be persuaded to be such as I am without these chains. Well, my persuasion for us tonight is that we might be Christians in the full sense of all that that means. For Jesus' sake. Amen? Well, let's think about this. And while we're thinking about it, let's have an invitation. Okay? And uh, we're going to sing and Gee, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to think there might be anybody out there tonight who is not a Christian, not a professed Christian anyway. <laughs> but we certainly want to give you that invitation. And the invitation not only to accept Jesus, but to follow Jesus. And there may be some area of your life tonight that you'd like to turn over to him. And so we invite you to do that. Matt, you're going to stand here for us. We appreciate that. Come and lead us. Thank you.